0: You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans, for Ohio State fans, from the West Coast, I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, November the 22nd, and I'm very happy to be joined once again by fellow South Stands contributor, Paige Van Horn from Denver PBH. How you feeling this morning, my friend?
1: Oh, I'm I'm light and bubbly, buddy. All good.
0: Effervescent. Effervescent. (laughs) All right. We are also joined by South contributor, Chad Plummer from Cleveland. CP, good to be with you this morning. How are you, buddy? Oh, good. Just like Paige.
2: I'm walking on air, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We are here to recap Ohio State's nail-biting 42-35 win over number nine, Indiana, But first, I want to remind our listeners about our new website, which you can visit at southstandsosu.com. You can listen to all of our podcast episodes there and check out our new blog. I'd also like to invite our listeners to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. We'd greatly appreciate your feedback there. Finally, we invite you to give us a follow on Twitter at south underscore stands. That's south underscore stands. Okay. Yesterday in Columbus, Ohio State jumped out to a 35 7 third quarter lead over number nine Indiana, but had to hang on for dear life as Hoosier quarterback Michael Penix Jr. threw four second half touchdown passes, three of them to senior receiver Ty Freifogel, that went for 63 yards, 56 yards, and 33 yards. Penix finished with 491 yards passing, despite only completing 53% of his passes. Those 491 passing yards were the most surrendered by an Ohio State defense since 1985. (laughs) Ohio State countered with 607 yards of total offense, 300 through the air by Justin Fields, who also threw two touchdowns, but three terrible, totally avoidable interceptions. One of the big stories of the game, though, was the explosion of the Buckeye running attack. 307 yards on the ground, 6.1 yards per carry. Master Teague was the bell cow for the Buckeyes in the run game. He finished with 169 yards on 26 carries and two touchdowns. I thought he was fantastic. Now, this was the third game in a row that Ohio State has gone over 200 yards rushing. And one of the big positives, guys, here from from this game is I think we can safely say now that Ohio State has a pretty darn good rushing attack. Garrett Wilson had his fourth 100-yard receiving game in as many games. He finished with 169 yards on seven receptions and two touchdown catches. Chris Olave chipped in eight catches for 101 yards. Buckeye offense most of the day was very good. However, they did have two failed red zone trips in the second half, which allowed IU to hang around. Jake Seibert missed a 44-yard field goal at the end of the third quarter. And then late in the fourth quarter, with Ohio State clinging to a seven-point lead, the Buckeyes could not convert on fourth and one from the IU seven-yard line, giving the ball back to Michael Penix Jr. I don't know about you guys. I was sweating bullets at that point. Paige, I think you said in a text, you were never worried. I was freaking out. Uh, that, that, that game was way too close for comfort. Okay, guys, what I'd like to do here to get us started, I want to get a high-level takeaway, like a big takeaway from each of you. I'm going to get us started. And then, Paige, I'm going to kick it to you. Oh, my big takeaway. The Ohio State coaching staff must have been listening to the South Stand podcast on Thursday because they did not respect Indiana, especially the Hoosier defense. They had two weeks to prepare for this game, and I don't think came into this game with a great plan, nor did they adjust their approach as they should have as the game went along. Ryan Day continued to call long-developing play-action pass plays against IU's go-for-broke everything but the kitchen sink blitzes that led to five sacks, three terrible interceptions by Fields. I think IU's pressure had a cumulative psychological effect on Fields. To me, he seemed rattled by the late stages of that game, and there was no better evidence of that than Fields missing a wide-open Luke Farrell from point-blank range on fourth and goal from the IU seven-yard line with 439 to play. I also thought Kerry Combs was not one of his greatest games so far as Ohio State's defensive coordinator. He continued to leave his defensive backs on an island with Ty Freifogel and the IU receivers all day. Ohio State gave up four pass plays of 50 yards or more. IU had three second-half touchdown drives that took less than two minutes. They had drives of five, touchdown drives of five plays, three plays, and two plays. All three ended in long touchdown receptions by Freifogel. I'm giving the coaching staff a D- minus for game plan and in-game adjustments call it hubris, call it arrogance. It almost cost Ohio State the damn football game. That was my big takeaway. Paige, what was your big takeaway?
1: That's interesting. I hadn't actually thought about that. But you're right. They um, The play calling, it wasn't so much the play calling, but maybe the scheme seemed a little bit out of whack. I mean, there were certain points of that game where they could conceivably get whatever they wanted on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kind of just didn't you know, keep hammering that. And then you're right. I mean- IU, th- their blitz packages were interesting. Like multiple times there'd be like two linebackers in the middle and then a guy like even playing five yards behind him, I guess, in a nickel. And they'd send all three of them. It's crazy. And it would work, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't uh, – high state would pick up two of them, but then the third guy's coming through. Um, Fields was definitely rattled. Rat- rattled. There's, there's no question about that. All that being said, though, I, I was right. The concerno meter on this game was zero. We were up seven nothing after two freaking plays. We were up twenty eight to seven and half thirty five to seven in the third quarter. Uh-huh. I was never worried. I never thought we would lose this game. Not one minute watching the whole thing. Now, obviously, we let them back in. Yeah. And obviously, there are some glaring things that they need to work on in the secondary. Right. But. The other maybe big high-level takeaway for me is I was totally wrong. Indiana's freaking good. Mm. They're very good. Penix, I knew Penix was going to make plays. I just didn't think he could do it with the consistency that he he did yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, That guy's very good. So the other thing that I'm thinking is, are we going to face a better team than Indiana or at least a better passing attack from here on out? And, I'm including even the playoffs yeah. because I'm not sure that Clemson is any better with a passing game than what we saw with IU, Alabama. Sure. But that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to face Alabama and our three remaining uh, teams on the big 10 schedule. And now looks like Northwestern. I mean, that might be the most prolific passing attack we see for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. which everybody, and I'm sure we're going to spend beat it to a dead horse how bad our secondary is, but maybe that's the perspective that you need to look at it that, hey, you're not going to face another team like that the rest of the way through. Interesting. Okay. Chad, how about you?
2: I'm with Paige. I I really wasn't concerned that we were going to you know somehow find a way to lose the game. I mean, I think there would have been somebody that stepped up and made a play. I was 100% confident in that. Um, Bottom line is You know, I agree with with you guys about the uh, Indiana passing game. Now, but what needs to happen, and it needs to happen today, is Kerry Combs needs to get out of this bullshit defensive scheme Mm -hmm. that they were going with. It's almost Shiana-like. And that's what happened with our defense back then before we hired Hafley. And it's too complicated of a scheme. Mm-hmm. Just go back to what Hayley was doing. Let these kids run all over the field and the back. It would just, you know, let, let's not like complicate things, man. You've yeah. got athletes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna. Like Kate said, I know we're gonna probably beat it a dead horse, and we'll go on about Hooker <laughs> and you know whoever else down the list, which I'm in agreement with all that stuff. But you know what? Come on, Combs. You know what? Let's simplify the defense, okay? Yeah.
0: I like that. Maybe it is time to simplify the defense. I think we're probably looking at some personnel changes too. I, I would just be very surprised if Marcus Hooker and Marcus Williamson, are, those are the guys they are going to continue to lean on. Paige, though, you made a good point in last Sunday's pod, which was about all the losses Ohio State has had in the secondary since the Fiesta Bowl. And Let's go through them again. We had Fuller, Okuda, and Arnett, all off to the NFL. You had Jocelyn Wint and Amir Reap. Wint, uh, pardon me, Reap would have been the starting slot corner, kicked off the team. We had another player who probably would be factoring in its safety this season in Brandon White, transferred to Rutgers. And then we lose Cam Brown in the Penn State game with the torn Achilles. It may be that we just there's nobody else to turn to unless you want to put it on a true freshman, somebody like a Ryan Watts in the secondary. Paige, I think you said last week, the coaching staff was probably loath to do that at this point. They may still feel that way because as you pointed out, Paige, they're not going to be facing any juggernauts in the passing game, at least until they get to the national semi, should they make it there. But what is the solution? Chad, you've mentioned – maybe simplifying some things defensively. Page, is there a solution that, that I'm not seeing that we're not seeing here for the back end of that defense?
1: I think, I think CP's got a good point. Um, definitely, th- there was some confusion and maybe it is too complicated. And I do think that was part of Shiano's problem. So simplification is probably in order, but I, w- I was thinking about it today before we got on, you know, where are they going to go? They're not going. There's nobody left to put in there, and I'm sorry, they're not putting true freshmen in there that have had injuries. Hmm. You know, four games into the season with with, with five games to go. Hmm. So, I think at the end of the day, they're going to have to roll with what they've got, and that means Hooker and and uh, Williamson. You know, and and Fry Fogle, one of those long touchdown passes that you know he caught in the third quarter or fourth quarter. It was against Sean Wade, by the way. Yeah. Right. So we can pile on, you know, Hooker and and Williamson all day. Sean Wade had that huge pick six, but I mean there's no there's nobody there. I mean, I, I would be very, very surprised. And maybe they can do it. I could be wrong because they're gonna have a few uh what potentially gimme games to figure it out and mm-hmm. maybe get you know, some of these other guys in there, but I just think that they know that this is the best that they have. And I think we're just going to have to accept it again. The other thing I come back to is woe us poor Buckeye fans. Like, (laughs) we have a flaw in a team. Okay. (laughs) So we don't have first rounders in every single position on both sides of the ball. So then maybe that does come down to coaching and coach your way out of it and mask it because you know that every other opposing coach is going to try and exploit it from here on out. That's the game plan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is where you earn that. What's Kerry Combs making is a million and a half. Yeah. He's going to have to earn that salary. Sorry, Chad, you go ahead.
2: There, there's no way that Ryan day is going to allow Combs to keep his ski defensive scheme up. There's just no way. Yeah. Especially, you know what I mean? It, 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 okay. I, I page, I, I'm 100% with it. Maybe that we we're going to have to ride or die with these kids and last week get, you know, two, you know, two to three more games into the season. And like Zach mentioned, you know, yesterday text thread, like, you got know, Ryan Watts, you got, you know, Legit, you know, Cabezas, who's coming off of this yeah, injury, right? Legend maybe, Cavazos, yeah, yeah, Cavazos, Maybe in three to four weeks down the road, then we can implement these guys in if they're still not getting it. But there's th- an even more reason that he needs to simplify that defense back there. I mean, I, those guys were just confused, and and that's a problem. You look at Sean Wade. It's, I think if you know, he's not playing the same defense that he was with Haysley. You know, yeah. So well, I just I just don't know, man. I'm just very. It just doesn't make sense to me, and and I can't see R.D. waiting much longer to say, "Hey, Carrie, you you got another week for these kids to understand this, or or you're going going back to what we were doing."
0: There, there are some changes, probably more than likely. Not that I would know. I, I'm not a sophisticated enough football fan to know what those adjustments are, but it seems to me. Scheme-wise, things could be simplified a bit. Now, Ryan Day did say in the postgame that they would be looking at all three elements, coaching, scheme, and personnel. Now, he did also say he didn't imagine them having to make personnel changes, but you know they were going to look at the film and everything. Look, Ohio, Ohio State, I'm looking at the pro football focus grades for Ohio State in this game yesterday. 20 players got snaps on the defensive side of the ball. Marcus Williamson, 20th, dead last, He continues to bring up the rear. Now, he was, as of last week, of the 37 Ohio State players that have seen snaps on the defensive side of the ball this season, he ranked 37th. He's been terrible. I don't know how much more you need to see from him. You know, the Todd Beckman rule applies to this kid, right? He's a senior. He's been collecting dust on the sidelines for the last three years, and now he's thrust into a starting role. Look, if it's taken you this long to see snaps in your career, you probably don't belong at Ohio State. Why not try Ryan Watts? What have you got to lose? This is a player who's consistently grading at the very, very bottom of, of the defensive players for Ohio State. So Ohio State's going to be facing some lesser competition over these next few weeks, and there could be opportunities for younger players to, to get snaps. So I think that is the biggest question for Ohio State going forward. What can the coaching staff do to fix that leaking sieve that is the back end of that defense. Paige, I want to kick this back to you. What else did you see, either positive or negative, from the defense yesterday that stood out?
1: The pass rush was great. Yeah. Um, You know what was interesting is how many times Warner and even Browning were literally covering wideouts on the far end of the field. Yeah, yeah. Um, which a couple times it didn't work out. I, I was curious about that, and you know the other thing, <clears throat> and and you're right. I, I I don't think Hooker Hooker's here to stay. Yeah. Um, but you can definitely make a case to to swap out Williamson, um, and you know I I think the coaches see the same things we're seeing. And I kept wondering during that game, like why is Browning covering a wide out, you know, way (laughs) out of position on the far end of the field. You know, the other thing is, you know, it's cliche, but give Indiana some credit, man. Those guys are good. And that was a hell of a scheme. And by the way, if I'm Michigan, if I'm not calling that guy to be my next coach, I mean, Jesus Christ, that guy is a hell of a coach (laughs) and on both sides of the ball.
2: And so they
1: were doing up and they made some plays and credit to Indiana. I don't think they'll lose again. Um, They're, they're a good football team, but to answer your question specifically, I thought the defensive line played really well. The linebackers played really well. Yeah. I want to back
0: you up on that point. Uh, Again, looking at the defensive grades from pro football focus for Ohio state in this game, Jonathan Cooper was Ohio State's top-rated defender. 93 was his grade, 93 out of 100, followed by Haskell Garrett, 90. Tommy Togiai, 84. Zach Harrison, he graded out at 81. Those are your top four highest grades from pro football focus on the defensive side of the ball. And funny enough, you know who graded fifth? Sean Wade. He was actually pretty good in coverage. Now, he gave up the long touchdown to Freifogel in the fourth quarter, but he did have the pick six. He was otherwise pretty good in coverage. Pro Football Focus graded him at 75 in coverage. He was their top-rated defensive back in coverage yesterday.
1: The other thing that just popped in my mind, after we scored that first touchdown on the kickoff, the hit that Proctor put on that kid. (laughs) Dude, they were hitting. That's the other thing. The defense was hitting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and we also had – Browning had a big hit to jar a ball loose. It really should have been a fumble, I thought. Uh, It was ruled – kind of incomplete, but it looked like that might've been a fumble. He had a big hit. Pete Warner had a big hit that jarred a ball loose, or maybe the ball had already coming loose. I think Browning had stripped it. That was a, that was a fumble. So there were some big hits. Chad, I want to kick it to you. What else did you see from the defense yesterday?
2: Well you know it was nice to see Mitchell get some extended playing time at linebacker yesterday I wasn't expecting that were you uh,
0: I wasn't but he did blow a pretty big coverage uh, i don't know if you
2: remember that he was he did, he got matched but, up <laughs> yeah yeah he did but but you know he's just got he's getting back in and adjusting the game time situation mm-hmm. I think he's gonna be a beast when it's all said and done. I hope so. I hope so. Um, it's you know, getting it's
0: getting late for Taraja Mitchell. We're halfway through his junior year. I'm waiting for that guy to break
2: out. Sorry, go ahead, Chad. I think we're we're gonna be okay. I, I you know what? Everybody thinks the world is ending right now, <laughs> and it's just it, it. I can't even like I try to stay off social media as much as I possibly can these days, but. I made the mistake of why I was sitting here waiting on you guys uh-huh. to, to start the pod, uh-huh. and I'm reading some of this stuff, and I just, like, I really want to just like, you know, I think I might just, I don't know, I would bitch slap so many people if I were in me right now. Like, that. it's just insane. Like, you guys, it's like the comments these people are making. Like, I think they're gonna like, you know, I've a gay and. Holmes and everybody else on the defensive staff are going to watch film and they're going to get this all straightened out. The world is not ending. Um, All right. But uh, I think we're going to be fine, man.
0: Okay. I like that. i tell you what I really liked from the defensive side of the ball yesterday was the play of the defensive line, though they did not get home for a lot of sacks. There was a lot of pressure. And your top four players were all defensive linemen. I want to focus on Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai, who just continue to have a major, major impact on this Ohio State defense. You hold a Big Ten opponent to negative one-yard rushing. I mean, now, IU, they're not a juggernaut running the ball. We already talked about that in the preview pod. They came in, I think, 118th rushing the ball. So we knew they were not a great running team. But to hold a Big Ten opponent to negative one yard rushing. The other thing that was very impressive is according to Pro Football Focus, Tommy Togia, your nose tackle, led the team with 10 pressures on, on Pennix. He had eight hurries and two hits on Michael Penix. You're getting that much pressure up the middle from Togia. Now, again, they didn't get home for sacks. Haskell Garrett also had five pressures, so from the interior of your your defensive tackle and nose tackle, you get 15 pressures. I'm just blown away by how good Garrett and Togiai have been for them. And Zach Harrison also kind of quietly is having an impact. Again, not getting home for sacks. He had five pressures as well. So the defensive line, I think, is in good hands. And of course, Jonathan Cooper, who I think is really maximizing his last year with their program, he is consistently grading out as one of Ohio State's top defenders. So very good, I thought, uh, on the defensive line. I really enjoyed the way the front seven played. We saw some big hits out of the linebackers, some impact plays out of the linebackers. Pete Warner had a huge sack late in the game to force an IU punt. That was a big play by Warner. I think he actually, on that, he blitzed, he destroyed the running back who had stepped up in pass protection and still was able to bring Penix down. I was very impressed by that play. Barron Browning had a couple huge hits. He forced a fumble in the red zone. So I thought a really good overall performance from the front seven from Ohio State and a lot to really be enthused about. You fix these issues on the back end, either through coaching or maybe personnel changes. I think you've got a pretty solid defense here. This isn't like 2018 where there was holes all over the defense. There's one specific area that needs to be addressed. There's time to do it you would think, given the opponents they have left on the regular season schedule. I just hope we're not looking at 2013 all over again. You guys remember that season? We lose Christian Bryant in the Big Ten opener against Wisconsin that season, and that left a gaping hole in the back end of the defense that the coaching staff just could not figure out, even though they had Von Bell sitting on the bench. Granted, he was a true freshman. I just hope this coaching staff doesn't fall into that same trap where they don't address the issue, when maybe there is a solution. Because this feels a little bit to me like 2013 on the back end of the defense. They're otherwise very good. And that 2013 defense had Ryan Shazier. It had a freshman, Joey Bosa. It had Noah Spence. They had some dudes that could play in the front seven. They just couldn't quite figure things out on the back end. And ultimately, it caught up to them.
1: I think it was Berm from Letterman Row. He actually had a pretty good observation tweet. He said you lose uh, Young, you lose Akuta, but maybe the guy that's the hardest to replace for this defense is actually Fuller. And yeah. in fact, it's, it, it truly is Fuller, right? Like who'd have thought that at this point in right. the season coming out of losing those guys? Oh man, I'd take him in a second. I mean, think of what
0: uh, how many issues that would fix just to have a steady hand back there who's always in position. I thought this was an interesting observation too. This is from the fella who covers Ohio State for rivals. Ross Fulton is his name. Of IU's first four big pass plays, three were on Hooker chasing a crossing route, not staying deep middle, and, and then not having the speed to recover. The fourth was Taraja Mitchell getting a series and blowing a coverage. Mitchell, I think, was confused about, I think he thought he had safety help and he let the receiver go up the sideline for a big, for a big gain. So that to me, that's coaching. Mm-hmm. right you coach those kids up i mean you had a you had a guy not knowing a reserve linebacker not understanding what defense they were in and you have hooker giving up that deep middle position chasing a crossing route maybe they can coach him up and he can get a little bit better so i'm going to choose to be positive about this i'm last night i went to bed i was <laughs> i was in a foul mood <laughs>
2: um, oh man I, I haven't seen you that furious oh god god anyway all
0: right well hey let's move over to the offensive side of the ball, I want to have a look. I think there was also a lot to be enthused about to be positive about. Paige, what did you see either good or bad from the Ohio State offense that stood out to you yesterday?
1: You know, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. I mean, I don't think they're probably going to get the credit for that, but you know, Indiana has got some pretty elaborate schemes that they throw at you from a blitzing perspective. I think for the most part, they did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. And again, T had a good game running the ball. So clearly the offensive line was doing its job up front. Um, so I think that would you know be one thing that stood out to me. There weren't any, you know, like Miller fixed his holding problems. I, you know, it was a pretty clean game from them all around. So I think the offensive line played really well and our receivers. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me last year, you know, with, um, with chase and, you know, like how many more platitudes can you give Wilson and Olave? <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, you feel like a broken record when you talk about it over and over and over again, but my God, those guys are good. They're just pretty much unstoppable and it creates so much pressure on a defense. And then, you know, do you set up the run with the pass or the pass with the, with the run? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it's it. How, how do you try and stop this offense fields? you know yeah he had some boneheaded plays but you know how many plays did he make with his feet that were just bone crushing for indiana um the defense you know him him scrambling out of the pocket one of them mm-hmm. were that linebacker came at him at a full run untouched he just spins to the right or left and he's you know gone for 40 yards um you know it wasn't his best game clearly yeah. but how many plays did he make? Also, he made a lot and of plays. It, I I saw the press conference afterwards. You could tell he was kind of annoyed. Um, with it. he's like, Yeah, I made some some bad plays. Like, I'm human. Um, let's move on. We still won the game. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, I think the offense all right. played really well. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Fields bounces back from this.
0: I thought a couple of those picks that he threw were he was pressing unnecessarily against an inferior opponent. Maybe he got a little too caught up in his matchup with Michael Penix Jr. And maybe he might have been thinking Heisman there on some of those plays. Chad, what did you see from the offense that stood out to you yesterday?
2: I, I thought we did some great things. Justin made some – that was probably that the first interception was probably the worst throw that I've ever seen. Like, you know, when I say ever seen him make, it's like, you know – uh, last season and this year is the worst throw he's ever made. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but I mean that's gonna happen, man. What team? You know, and we didn't discuss this or what team goes out? Yeah, as a fan, you hate to see these types of things. But what team can you remember that goes out every single week and everything is just you know.
0: Peachy. Uh,
2: unicorns yeah. and daisies. You know what I mean? It, it, it just was a it was a tough day, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But there were bright spots. He had he had three hundred yards passing. Yeah. Okay, we had three hundred yards rushing. Okay, like the world's not ending. You know what I mean? Every yes, he made some mistakes. Justin will probably probably beat himself up last night, but I think he's the kind of uh kid who just etched, a sketched it. He's gonna go work that's gonna make him work harder and I think we're gonna see some better things and better decision making in, in the coming weeks for him. I think this was like, hey, I am human, like Paige said, uh-huh. I'm just gonna watch this film and I'm gonna make better decisions. And you know, and hopefully Ryan and, and Wilson and Kevin Wilson, those guys, they come up with like, hey, this doesn't look like it's working that well. Let's let's change this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Okay. I'm not worried. Ohio
0: State had a quarterback throw for 300 yards, a running back run for more than 150 yards, and a receiver catch for more than 150 yards yesterday. It's the first time in Ohio State history that ever happened. Can you believe that? that that's crazy. How long have
2: been playing football?
0: Yeah. I mean, 100 some odd years. Yeah. And oh, by the way, that was a top 20 defense they did that against. So a lot of positives, I agree with you, Chad, to take away from the offense. And I said it at the top, I don't think Ryan Day did, his, did Justin Fields any favors with the game plan. One thing I said in the, pre, in the preview pod on Thursday, one area to watch was how Ohio State would handle IU blitzes. I felt like there was a boon to be had in big plays for Ohio State in those situations. There was nothing installed in the game plan to help Fields get rid of the ball early in those blitzing situations. They can, As we've said, and we've kind of beat it to death at this point, they continued to roll with these slow-developing play-action pass plays, and that played right into Indiana's hands. So I put that on Ryan Day. Some of this, some of what you saw yesterday out of Justin Fields, I think Ryan Day has to take some of the blame there for the way that he called that game, for the, the game plan and then the lack of in-game adjustments.
1: No, I think you're. That's a that's a actually great observation. I mean, they could just run crossing patterns all day long, like they usually do against Michigan, right? And just hit guys over the middle, three or four yards, take what the defense is getting or giving you, and get the ball out of his hands really quickly. Yeah. Um, and so, just sort of replaying the game back in my head, I hadn't thought of that, but that that's a very good point and observation.
0: And you know, I think there was some hubris there. I think Ohio State didn't feel like Indiana belonged on the field with them. I I really believe that. I don't think there was a a Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, that legendary coach. He likes to call, call it appropriate fear of the opponent. I don't think there was that. I think Ohio State came into that game with a plan that didn't honor what Indiana does well. And this was a, you know, we're still talking about a very young head coach and Ryan Day only in his second year as, as head coach. So I think there are some takeaways, some, some, ex, some learning experiences for Day that will hopefully make him a better coach moving forward.
1: On, on that point, can, can we talk about going for fourth down? Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: you know, let's do that. Oh, let's do that. <laughs> highest State's clinging to a seven-point yeah. lead late in the game. You're in the red zone. It's fourth and one. He decides to go, rather than kick the field goal, go up two scores and pretty much seal the game at that stage. They don't convert on the fourth and one. They opt not to kick the field goal. Paige, what did you think of that?
1: So number one, did he not kick the field goal because the kicker's out? Did he? I don't think anyone's asked him that question. Uh, I mean, well, so, jo-
0: yeah. I mean, Jake Seibert missed a field goal earlier in the game, but that was from forty-four yards out. I mean, this right, is a chip shot. A it's it's chip an extra shot. point. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which I don't know. You know, going back to the, your point about the game plan and some hubris, that was some hubris on yes, his part. it was. Part.
0: Yes, it was. Um,
1: and you know, he's super aggressive, but he had some hubris even against Clemson, right? Where there mm-hmm. was just some things where you're like, just, just take what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, he did. He did talk about it in the post game presser, and he just said, "Hey, look, we're just going to continue to be aggressive." Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine up to a point, but you kick that field goal, that game is essentially over. I mean, it's going to take, right? I mean, two scores, an onside kick. I mean, what are the odds of that happening? Number one. And then number two, what play call was I screaming for on fourth and one? I don't know. What was it? <laughs> A fucking quarterback sneak. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I do right. not understand. Right. Why. Are they trying to keep him from getting hurt or what? I, it, it makes I just, no sense. In, in the hundred and whatever, 10 years of football that's been played, that play, if you need one yard, works what? 98% of the time? You do if you go and look at what he ran. I mean, Justin Fields actually did a pirouette, 180, turned around, two guys draped all over him, and the one guy peeled off a record. And so he kind of like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, take what you can get. Why are you making this more complicated? And again, that to me just spoke of a little bit too much hubris as well.
0: We dodged a bullet there because you you give Michael Penix. Now, granted, it was deep in their own territory, but you give Michael Penix, who was on fire. I, I've, watching Penix in the second half reminded me a little bit of, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Ohio State played NC State, Phillip Rivers, back in 2003. And the game was somewhat similar. Ohio State had a, kind of jumped out to a big lead early in that game, got sloppy and careless, turned the ball over in the second half of that game, and they let Phillip Rivers catch fire. And the game went into double overtime. We ended up winning the game. But I remember the helplessness sitting there watching him just carve up our secondary. And it felt that way yesterday with Penix. He caught fire. You let a good player get into a groove. And here you are handing the ball back to Penix and that passing game with plenty of time on the clock. There was what, 4.50 to play, plenty of time for Indiana to drive the length of the field. All it, you know, I mean, they were getting whatever they wanted. Credit to the Ohio State defense for stepping up there. The front seven, they really got after Penix and the the big sack there by Pete Warner. That was huge. But I I don't know if I'm Ryan Day. Of course, he's not going to publicly say it. I would hope there's a little bit more reflection there on Ryan Day's part because I thought that was was not intelligent coaching. And again, to your point, that was hubris and you're going to end up losing a game you should win. You're going to blow opportunities as head coach if you continue to coach that way. You have to, you do have to be a situational coach. Take the W. Take the W, the W. Lean on your run game, run clock. Hey, you got a unit right now who's really struggling. Okay. So help them, help them out. Run the football, run clock. Don't give the ball right back to Indiana. And I thought, Again, I'm beating a dead horse there. The way they coached this game, their game plan and the lack of in-game adjustments did not help out Justin Fields. They did not help out that struggling secondary.
1: Do you feel better about this team or worse about this team after that game?
2: Hmm. hmm.
0: I, I, I have to I'm be honest. I, I, feel, I feel slightly worse. You're up 35-7 at the start of the third quarter. You're up 42-21 going into the fourth quarter. Look, Ohio State now three games in a row. They've been outscored in the second half, and they've allowed inferior teams to kind of, kind of get back in it. Now, Rutgers was never really back in it, but Penn State kind of made it uncomfortable there when Ohio State really kind of jumped out to a commanding lead. And clearly yesterday, Indiana was able to f- fight back and make that very uncomfortable for Ohio State fans. This is a thing the second half letting your foot off the accelerator, it's a thing now. It's a thing now they have to address. And I, I think it can be explained by w- one thing primarily, which is Ohio State jumps out to a big lead. The opposing offense abandons its game plan of trying to be balanced, run the football, throw the football, and they just start chucking it. And they start taking shots downfield. And it's at th- that's where we're most vulnerable. And, and I think we've seen that play out now three games in a row, especially against Penn State, right? They scored three second half touchdowns in that game, two against Wade, one against Seven Banks. And then of course yesterday, we've already been through it with with Pennix Jr. So I do think it is a thing. So I'm not going to excuse away everything that we saw that was negative in that game. I think Ohio State's got some stuff they need to fix there. I I can't excuse all that away, but I don't want to focus solely on that either. I think it's important that we there's a lot to really
1: love about this team and that we should really appreciate
0: while we have it. Right.
1: Yeah. And you know, the other thing that could be a factor there, I'm not saying it is or isn't, but having no fans in the stand, Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're up in every one of these games, they put these teams away and then, you know, it's human nature, right? They have an emotional letdown and they don't have fans in the stand to pick them up when they make a big play, like you know Wade's pick six, and the crowd goes absolutely apeshit. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know they're pumping in sound there, but I just wonder if that could partially be, you know, uh, explain why they have these pretty epic sort of meltdowns in the second That's half. A good point.
0: It's a good point. Ryan Day made reference to that in the post-game interview. I think Jenny Taft. Plummer's girlfriend, Jenny Taft, interviewed Ryan Day immediately mm-hmm. after the game, and he mentioned that specifically, not having a crowd, you got to bring your own juice. And you're right, a, a, a play like Wade's, that pick six, gets loud, gets raucous, then it's difficult for Michael Penix and that offense to operate, do what they want, yeah. audible. So uh, that's a good they point. feed off that
1: energy, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah. And that, Paige, that is such a good, I mean, that's such a valid, huge point. I mean, that is a big thing, because you're not – you look. Like, you've got kid like the crowd noise. Everybody like so we start getting ganking some plays and that's kind of like uh, okay yeah you know, everything's kind of just line. you mm-hmm. know and that is big when you got like when it's the, these third downs that they convert you know like converted yesterday there would have been like you know that's a huge factor I think even Urban mentioned that yesterday. Good point, Paige.
0: Yeah, good point. I I, I like that. That's a good take. And we'll see how Ohio State adapts to that going forward. But they need to figure out a way to maintain that edge, to maintain that juice coming out of the locker room at halftime, because it is a thing now that they're going to need to address. Okay. But let's have a quick look at what happened in that Wisconsin-Northwestern game. Now, all three of us liked Wisconsin in this game. Credit to Northwestern, man. They – completely stonewalled the Wisconsin offense. They escape with a 17 to seven. Well, not even really escape. They seemed to, even though it was only a, it was a close game throughout, they win by 10. It really felt like Northwestern was in command of that game. Paige, wanted to get your thoughts. What did you see in that Wisconsin-Northwestern game that stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I I was wrong um, about Wisconsin. And I get, you know, two games and then they miss two games. And then... Mm -hmm beating up on Michigan is just, you know, what 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 can you say about that? They're just they looked like the old Wisconsin, which is weird because what little I had seen in the first two games and actually I did watch a fair amount when they played Michigan. They just looked like they had superior athletes and they just looked slow yesterday. Mm-hmm. And credit, you know, Northwestern. Um I mean, heck, they're 5 and 0. I mean, they're in the driver's seat in the west, so um but I was very Surprised, and and Wisconsin really couldn't do anything. I mean, you're, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't like you know they blew that game. I mean, Northwestern just flat out stopped them on yeah. defense. Yeah, and Wisconsin had no answers. They had no playmakers. They made Mertz look very ordinary. Yeah, and I, you know, I was wrong about that. I definitely did not see that coming.
0: Yeah, they forced Mertz into three interceptions. Wisconsin does not have that stallion at running back that they typically have. They ran for 136 yards on 40 carries, so not very dynamic in the, the run game. And of course, as you've already pointed out, they don't really have any difference makers on the outside. I think their best receiver is a tight end, Ferguson, who I believe is Barry Alvarez's grandson, if I'm not mistaken. Chad, what did you see in that performance by Northwestern that stood
2: out to you? Who? Mm-hmm. Who? <laughs> <laughs> what did we talk? What did we talk about Northwestern at all this year? You know what I mean. Yeah. That's just a perfect example of like last week we were all like, "Wow, this Wisconsin team's legit," which you know was warranted. Yeah. Cause they look, and then you know, I mean, all credit due to like, or you know, to Northwestern, but come on, I mean, really, to embarrass like, you know. Wisconsin that's that after it's just it's crazy um yeah I I, it's just i tell you what I don't know which is a worse situation well obviously it's Michigan because of notoriety but who's it it is just a shit storm in Nebraska as much as it is in Michigan
1: well Penn State's 0-5
0: Penn State's 0-5 well yeah yeah the the big it's a weird year in the Big Ten it's, it's a down year to a, be sure, yeah. to be sure. Yeah. Northwestern. I, I I appreciate what they do. I, they play good hard nosed defense. They're very smart. I think they're, they're very good in pass defense. They know who they are. I think they, they got a very good quarterback and pa- Peyton Ramsey who transferred from Indiana. That was a, a nice pickup for them. Ramsey's a steady hand at quarterback and he can make some plays here and there. He threw two touchdown passes yesterday. His numbers weren't spectacular. But I think he's a more than serviceable quarterback for them. And defensively, they were fantastic yesterday, really stonewalling Wisconsin. What can you say about Pat Fitzgerald and what he's been able to do consistently there? Now, they had a down year last year, but they made the Big Ten title game two seasons ago, played Ohio State pretty tough in that one. And I think they're in the driver's seat in the West. If you look at their remaining schedule, there's really nobody that uh, is going to threaten Northwestern. They finish with Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois. I mean, just stay the course. You are in the Big Ten title game, I and mean, that is very likely Ohio State's opponent in the Big Ten title game. So they look great. All right, let's move our focus over to our good friends at Michigan. A double overtime, 48-42 win over Rutgers. Paige, what did you see in that game, if you saw any of it?
1: So you had texted me, and I was like, "I I just can't do it. I I cannot watch another vomit-inducing offensive performance after coming off Northwestern in Wisconsin to watch Michigan and Rutgers. It's it's like literally watching 1960s football." Um, And by the way, I I, you watch Northwestern will go out and lose next week to
2: Illinois or whomever they're playing. I was gonna say that page. That is so true. That's gonna happen. You know, <laughs> um, they cr- cruising so, on so, to the Big Ten championship. Yep. Yep. And, um, and hit a big pothole. Hit a big <laughs> pothole.
1: I turned. So it was seventeen nothing, and I I flipped on the game. And so I have now changed my mind. Where I'm clearly in. I want. Them to give Harbaugh a contract extension. Um, I just think let's just let's just keep this thing going. It's too good. He's not going to turn it around. Um, Whatever the rivalry, be damned. Let's just have Michigan suck forever. And I think Harbaugh, if he gets that contract extension, that's what what will happen. Um, But you know, Michigan showed some fight, and you know they do have some skilled players, right? I mean, that Jackson, he's quick, man. He ran that opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, he's got, you know, there, there's some players there. Rutgers blew it. Right. I mean, that first overtime, just. And that third down play call that Chiano had where he, I don't know if you watched this, but he, um, it was third and 10. And instead of trying to pick up any yards in the first overtime, because the Michigan field goal kicker missed the field goal, he just ran to the middle of the field to set up a, you know, 45 yard field goal. Uh, and, and they didn't get it. I, I thought that was a terrible play call. I didn't understand why he did that. And right. then, Of course, you just opened the door for Michigan to come back and win the game. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, to, to beat life and death, to beat Rutgers, I mean, what, what are you? And you, the, the weird part is Michigan does have some good players, and I just can't figure out what is the problem
0: there. Well, the story, um, the story of the game has to be Cade McNamara coming in yeah. in relief of Joe Milton and throwing four touchdown passes, he was twenty-seven to thirty-six for two hundred sixty yards. Four touchdown passes is Cade McNamara the answer for them at at quarterback? We'll see. It was Rutgers legit. We'll we'll see. Jamie Chad
2: Harbaugh said it was inspiring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have Good to perform it. Michigan avoids a very embarrassing loss at Rutgers. They were only a ten-point favorite, I believe, going into it. Not much to say out of that one. We'll we'll see if if McNamara is the answer for them and can turn things around for Michigan and make this a somewhat of a respectable year for them. But I think well, yeah. I sent
1: that text to the group. I was like, if he loses this game, is he getting fired tonight? I, I really <laughs> think they would have had to seriously consider it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would think well, you got so next week that sets that sets up a huge clash. With Penn State, 0 and 5, Penn State in Ann Arbor next Saturday. Michigan still has Penn State, then Maryland, then Ohio State on the schedule. That's not an easy finish for Michigan there.
1: And the last hey. thing, and I know it's weird and I know it makes no difference whatsoever, but he, why does he have a mask over? The mouthpiece on his headset, (laughs) like it just it it just speaks to the narrative of what a freak this
2: guy is. He's an odd guy,
1: like a buffoon. And I'm sorry, I like if I'm a recruit and I'm like, what is who is this guy? Yeah,
0: it's so. That is such a good word, buffoon. He's he's an odd guy. He's an odd guy. I don't know. Is (laughs) is he on the spectrum or something? There is there like. I, I don't know. He might. be. Yeah, I, I don't know how. He
2: might be, man.
0: How do you relate? Do you think he, to an 18 year old kid? I, think, I, I just he's an odd guy. Sorry, go ahead, Chad.
2: I, I, I think he like he the spectrum might be the exact call. I think he wakes up in his khaki pants, to eats bowls <laughs> uh, like fruity pebbles. <laughs> odd,
0: odd, strange, it, st- strange, strange, strange yeah. days indeed. Can we give a
2: good? Sh- Give a shout out to our boy Luke Fickle yesterday. How about that? Coming back and winning that game. Yeah. Nice. I, mean, I know it wasn't that great, but yeah, good for Cincinnati.
0: Good for Cincinnati. It'll be interesting. So the first playoff rankings come out later this week. Be interesting, obviously. Tuesday, to, yeah. To find out where Ohio State falls in those rankings, but also where Cincinnati falls and how the the committee views a program like Cincinnati or BYU. Be interesting to see what they what they think of. The fighting Luke Fickles. All right, boys, we are right at an <laughs> hour. I think we can wrap things up here, and let's plan to reconvene on Thursday to have a look at the Illinois game.
1: On on Turkey Day?
0: Oh, sorry, Turkey Day. That's right. Tur- no, I, I guess we have, can't have. do that. No, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. So then, I guess, do we want to do like a <laughs> Wednesday? When do we want to do our preview pod? I think. Yeah, Wednesday, man. Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Okay. I- Got it. All yeah. right. Turkey, I completely forgot it was Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. It's so hard oh, to just keep track turkey, of all the...
1: Dude. What are you it, thinking?
0: <laughs> the passage of time yeah, during this bro. weird COVID year that we're yeah. having is just very hard to, to keep track of. Okay. So then we will reconvene on Wednesday to have a look at the Fighting Illini. You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.